Good evening. I'm recording this in the evening, and it's very beautiful today. Kiki's um, sniffing around. I'm outside yet again because you know me. I like reading outside, so the birds are really loud and kind of rowdy right now, but the it's pretty quiet other than that. And today's chapter is called Looking Glass Insects. So this is chapter three of Through the Looking Glass um, and what Alice found there. Of course, the first thing to do was to make a grand survey of the country that she was going to travel through. It's something very like learning geography, thought Alice, as she stood on tiptoe in hopes of being able to see a little further. Principal rivers, there are none. Principal mountains, I'm the only one, but I don't think it's got my any name. Principal towns? Why, what are those creatures making honey down there? They can't be bees. Nobody ever saw bees a mile off, you know. Mm. And for some time she stood silent, watching one of them as that was bustling about along, among the flowers, poking its proboscis into them just as if it was a regular bee, thought Alice. However, this was anything but a regular bee. In fact, it was an elephant. As Alice soon found out, though, the, I- the idea quite took her breath away at first. And what, an enormous, and what enormous flowers they must be was her next idea. Something like cottages with the roofs taken out and stocks put to them. And what quantities of honey they must make. I think I'll go down and... N- no... I won't go just yet, she went on, checking herself, just as she was beginning to run down the hill and trying to find some excuse for turning shy so suddenly. It'll never do to go down among them without a good long branch to brush them away. And what fun it'll be when they ask me how I liked my walk. I shall say, oh, I liked it well enough. Here came the favorite little toss of the head. Only it was so dusty and hot and the elephants did tease so. I think I'll go down the other way, she said after a pause, and perhaps I may visit the elephants later on. Besides, I do so want to get into that third square. So with this excuse, she ran down the hill and jumped over the first of the six little brooks. Tickets, please, said the guard, putting his head in the window. In a moment, everybody was holding out a ticket. They were about the same size as people and quite seemed to fill the carriage. Now then. Show your ticket, child, the guard went on, looking angrily at Alice. And a great many voices all said together, like a chorus of a song, Alice thought. Don't keep him waiting, child. Why, his time is worth a thousand pounds a minute. I'm afraid I haven't got one, Alice said in a frightened tone. There wasn't a ticket office where I came from. And again, the chorus of voices went on. There wasn't room for a one where she came from. The land is worth a thousand pounds an inch. Don't make excuses, said the guard. You should have bought one from the engine driver. And once more, the chorus of voices went on with, The man that drives the engine, why, the smoke alone is worth a thousand pounds puff. Alice thought to herself, then there's no use in speaking. The voices didn't join in this time. And and as she hadn't spoken, but to her great surprise, they all thought in chorus, I hope you understand what thinking in chorus means, for I must confess that I don't. Better say nothing at all. Language is worth a thousand pounds a word. I shall dream about a thousand pounds tonight. I know I shall, thought Alice. All this time, the guard was looking at her. 
first through a telescope, then through a microscope, and then through an opera glass. At last, he said, you're traveling the wrong way and shut up the window and went away. That's kind of funny because um, telescopes are really big, microscopes are a little bit smaller, and then opera glasses are the ones that you put up to your eyes. Um, almost like binoculars, but they're even smaller than binoculars. So that's, I think that's a funny little description there. So young a child, said the gentleman sitting opposite to her. He was dressed in white paper. Ought to know which way she's going, even if she doesn't know her own name. A goat that was sitting next to the gentleman in white shut his eyes and said in a loud voice, she ought to know her way to the ticket office, even if she doesn't know her alphabet. There was a beetle sitting next to the goat, and it was a very queer carriage full of passengers altogether. And as the rule seemed to be that they should all speak in turn, he went on with, she'll have to go back from here as luggage. <clears throat> Alice couldn't see who was sitting beyond the beetle, but the hoarse voice spoke next. Change engines, it said, and there it choked and was obliged to leave off. It sounds like a horse, Alice thought to herself, and an extremely small voice close to her, her ear said, You might make a joke on that, something about horse and horse, you know. Then a very gentle voice in the distance said, She must be labeled last with care, you know. And after that, other voices went on. What a number of people there are in this carriage, thought Alice, saying she must go by post as she's got a head on her. Um, and this is a reference to the, the head of the Queen Victoria, whose portrait appeared on the postage stamps <clears throat> at the time. She must be sent um, as a message by the telegraph. She must draw the train herself the rest of the way and so on. But the gentleman dressed in white paper leaned forward um, and whispered in her ear, never mind what they all say, my dear, but take a return ticket every time the train stops. Needn't I shan't, she said rather impatiently. I don't belong on this railway journey at all. I was just in a wood just now, and I wish I could get back there. You might make a joke on that, said the little voice close to her ear. Something about you would if you could, you know. Don't tease so, said Alice, looking about in vain to see where the voice had come from. If you're so anxious to have a joke made, why don't you make one yourself? The little voice sighed deeply, and it was very unhappy evidently, and Alice would have said something pitying to comfort it if it would only sigh like other people, she thought, but this was such a wonderfully small sigh that she, could, she wouldn't have heard it at all if it hadn't come quite close to her ear. The consequence of this was that it tickled her ear very much and quite took off her thoughts from the unhappiness of the poor little creature. I know you are a friend, the little voice went on, a dear friend and an old friend, and you wouldn't hurt me, though I am an insect. What kind of insect? Alice inquired a little anxiously. What she really wanted to know was whether she, it would sting her or not. But she thought this would be quite, um, wouldn't be quite a civil question to ask. What then you don't? The little voice began when it was um, drowned by a shrill scream from the engine. Everybody jumped up in alarm. Alice among the rest. The horse who had put his head out of the window quietly, drew it in and said, it's only a brook if we have to jump over it. Everybody seemed satisfied with this, although Alice felt a little nervous at the idea of trains jumping at all. 
However, it'll take us to the fourth square, and that's some comfort, she said to herself. In another moment, she felt the carriage rise straight up into the air, and in her fright, she caught at the thing nearest her hand, which happens to be a goat's beard. But the beard seemed to melt away as she touched it, and she found herself sitting quietly under some tree, while the gnat, for it was the insect she had been talking to, was bouncing itself on a twig just over her head and fanning her with its wings. It certainly was a very large gnat, about the size of a chicken, Alice thought. Still, she couldn't feel nervous about it. After they had been talking together so long. Then, you don't like all insects, the gnat went on, as quietly as if nothing had happened. I like them when they can talk, said Alice. None of them ever talk where I come from. What sort of insects do you rejoice in? Where you come from, the gnat inquired. I don't rejoice in insects at all, Alice explained, because I'm rather afraid of them, at least the large kinds, but I can tell you the names of some of them. Of course, they answered to their names, the gnat remarks carelessly. I never knew them to do it. Well, then what's the use of them having their names, the gnat said, if they won't answer to them? Well, it's no use to them, said Alice, but it's useful to the people that name them, I suppose. If not, why do things have names at all? I can't say, the gnat replied furthermore, further on, in the wood, wood down there, you've got no names, however. Go on with your list of insects, you're wasting time. <clears throat> well, there's a horsefly, Alice began, cutting off, counting off the names with her fingers. All right, said the gnat, halfway up in that bush, you'll see a rocking horsefly if you look. It's made entirely of wood, and it gets about by swinging itself from branch to branch. What does it live on? Alice asked, with great curiosity. Sap and sawdust, said the gnat. Go on with the list. Alice looked at the rocking horsefly with great interest and made up her mind that it must have been just repainted. It looked so bright and sticky, and then she went on. And there's the dragonfly. Look on the branch above your head, said the gnat, and there you'll find a snap dragonfly. Its body is made of plum pudding, its wings of holly leaves, and its head is a raisin burning in, the, in brandy. And what does it live on, Alice asked as before. Fermenti. This is a dessert made with sugar raisins and boiled wheat, by the way. And mince pie. And we talked about mince pie as well. Mince pie is like meat pie. Um, the gnat replied, and it makes it its nest in a Christmas box. And then there's the butterfly, Alice went on, after she had taken a good look at the insect with its head on fire and thought to herself, I wonder if that's the reason insects are so fond of flying into candles, because they want to turn in, into a snap dragonfly. Crawling on your feet, said the gnat, Alice, or crawling at your feet, said the gnat, Alice drew her feet back in alarm. You may observe a bread and butterfly. Its wings are thin slices of bread and butter. Its body is a crust, and its head is a lump of sugar. And what does it live on? Weak tea with cream in it. A new difficulty came into Alice's head. Supposing it couldn't find any, she suggested? Then it would die, of course, but it must. But that must happen very often, Alice remarked thoughtfully. It happens. It always happens, said the gnat. After this, Alice was silent for a minute or two, pondering the gnat... Pondering. The gnat amused itself, meanwhile, by humming round 
and round in her head. At last, it settled again and remarked, I suppose you don't want to um, lose your name. No, indeed, said uh, Alice said a little anxiously. And yet, I don't know, the Nat went on in a careless tone. I only think how convenient it would be if you could manage to go home without it. For instance, if the governess wanted to call you your call you to your lessons, she would call out, come here. And there she would have to leave us because there wouldn't be any name for her to call. And of course, she wouldn't have, you wouldn't have to go, you know. That would never do, I'm sure, said Alice. The governess would never think of excusing me lessons for that. If she couldn't remember my name, she'd call me Miss, as the servants do. Well, if she said Miss and didn't say anything more, the Nat remarked, of course you'd miss your lessons. That's, that's a joke. I wish, you, I wish you had made it. Why do you wish I had made it? Alice asked. It's a very bad one. But the Nat only sighed deeply while two large tears came rolling down its cheeks. You shouldn't make jokes, Alice said, if it makes you so unhappy. Then came another of those melancholy little sighs. <sighs> and this time the poor gnat really seemed to have sight, uh, sighed itself away, for when Alice looked up, there was nothing whatever to be seen on the twig. And as she was getting quite chilly with sitting still so long, she got up and walked on. She very soon came to an open field with a wood on either side of it. It looked much darker than the last wood. And Alice felt a little timid about going into it. However, on second thoughts, she made up her mind to go on. For I certainly won't go back, she thought to herself. And this was the only way to the eighth square. Sorry, there are people yelling on the street that I'm on right now. This must be the wood, she said thoughtfully to herself, where things have no names. I wonder what will become of my name when I go in. I shouldn't like to lose it at all because they'd, they'd give me another name and it would be almost certain to be an ugly one. But then the fun would be trying to find the, the creature that had got my old name. Just like that, adver just like the advertisements, you know, when people lose dogs. Answers to the name of Dash. Had on a brass collar. Just fancy calling everything you meet. Alice. To one of them answered. Only they wouldn't answer at all if they were wise. She was rambling on this way when she reached the wood. It looked very cool and shady. Well, at any rate, it's a great comfort, she said as she stepped into the, under the trees. After being so hot, to get into the, into the, into the, what? She went on, rather surprised, not being able to think of the word. I mean, to get under the, under the, under this, you know, putting her hand on the trunk of the tree. What does it call itself, I wonder? I do believe it's got no name. Why, to be sure, it hasn't. She stood silent for a moment, thinking, and then she suddenly began again. Then it really has happened after all, you know, and now, who am I? I will remember if I can. I am determined to, to do it. But being determined didn't help her much. And all she could say after a great deal of puzzling was L. I know it begins with an L. <laughs> Just then, a fawn came wandering by. It looked at Alice with its large, gentle eyes, but it didn't seem to be all frightened. Here then, here then, Alice said as she held out her hand and tried to stroke it, but only start but it only started back a little and then stood looking at her again. What do you call yourself? The fawn said at last. Such a soft, sweet voice it had. I wish I knew, thought poor Alice. She answered rather sadly, nothing just now. Thinking, I think again, it said, that won't do. Alice thought, but nothing came of it. Please, would you tell me what you call yourself? She said timidly. I think that might help a little. I'll tell you. If you'll come a, a little further on, the fawn said, 
I can't remember here. So they walked on together through the wood, Alice with her arms clasped lovingly around the soft neck of the fawn, till they came out onto another field. And here, the fawn gave a sudden bound into the air and shook itself free of Alice's arms. I'm a fawn, it cried out with a voice of delight, and dear me, you're a human child. A sudden look of alarm came on its beautiful brown eyes, and in another moment it had darted away at full speed. Alice stood looking after it, almost ready to cry in vexation. Ooh, that's a fancy big word. She was very frustrated at having lost her dear little fellow traveler so suddenly. However, I know my name now, she said, and that's some comfort. Alice, Alice, I won't forget it again. And now, which of those finger posts ought I to follow, I wonder? It was not very difficult. <clears throat> It was, a not, it was not a very difficult question to answer, as there was only one road through the wood, and the two finger posts both pointed along it. I'll settle it, Alice said to herself, when the road divides, and they point different ways. But this did not seem to happen. She went on and on, a long way. But whenever or wherever the road divided, there were sure to be two finger posts pointing the same way, one marked to Tweedledum's house and the other to Tweedledee. To the house of Tweedledee. I do believe, said Alice at last, that they live in the same house. I wonder, I never thought of that before. But I can't stay there long. I'll just call and say, how do you do? And ask them the way out of the wood. If I could only get to the eighth square before it gets dark. So she wandered on, talking to herself as she went, till on turning with a sharp corner, on turning a sharp corner, she came upon two fat little men, so suddenly that she could not help starting back. But in another moment, she recovered herself, feeling sure that they must be. Dun, dun, dun.